thank you again for tuning in to the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. And today's guest is Stephen Lee. Stephen is the chairman of the Fair Ticketing Alliance, which is the UK organization that is working to advocate for the secondary ticket market. Now, this is an interesting topic to cover because there's been a lot of press about some of the bad behavior and some of the negative impact of the secondary market, especially in the UK. Um, in the United States, where a lot of listeners are, you know, we have a much different relationship with the secondary market than they do everywhere else in the world. I wanted to have Stephen on because what they're trying to do is they're trying to legitimize the industry, trying to bring it out of the shadows, um, trying to work to understand where there's value for customers, um, work as a partner of the primary market, um, and kind of develop a relationship where that's sustainable for them. Um, in this episode, we get into a lot of the negative things um, and ideas that have taken hold about the secondary market. We talk about Viagogo, we talk about SeatWave, Get Me In. We talk about their code of conduct strategy. We talk about the, um, you know, the experience of buying tickets and being a partner of the primary. We talk about some of the areas where the secondary market, especially Steve's own business, has come in and played a role uh, in helping the primary market move tickets that might not have been moved otherwise. We talk about uh, maybe some price constraints, uh, some of the bad practices, the challenges of fees. I mean, we kind of get into a lot. Um, the first five or six minutes of the interview are a little slow um, just because we, we went into a pretty deep dive about how Steve got into the industry, um, and he said he got a little tongue-tied. Um, so, you know, once you get past that first couple minutes, I think you'll you really find it pretty interesting. Um, it may or may not um, change your, your, your opinion on the secondary market, but I do think that it will give you a – a different perspective and you know that's what i really hope to provide so without any further ado here's my conversation with Stephen lee i'd like to welcome Stephen lee from the fa the fair ticketing alliance to the show steve thanks for being here no problem thanks for having me um really sort of looking forward to having a good chat with you well hopefully it'll be a good chat so um, i think there's a lot everybody can learn from you um and I wanted to have you on because I know that the secondary market in the UK is a very, very uh, hot button subject to say the least. And I know that coming from America, the secondary market has a much different definition and a much different field here than it does over there. So I wanted to start out by um, asking you to kind of give a little bit of the philosophy of the, of the Fair Ticketing Alliance and sort of how you see the place of the secondary market in the in the European ticket market, or specifically in the UK. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I'm the president of the Fair Ticketing Alliance, and now we're newly formed. It's been about three months. Um, it was actually started by Scott Tobias, who is uh, an American, um, very successful and creditable businessman. Um, he was advised to sort of come over here by Stubb Alvin Ticketmaster and set up in the UK. Um, he came across a lot of difficulties, though, when he came over. Um, <laughs> and in do doing so, um, we've, he sort of found out that the UK market is well behind the US market in how it has been established, like you just sort of said. Um, he began a campaign, basically, to get clar clarity in the UK laws and to fight for the right to buy and sell tickets, um, basically for responsible brokers like himself, um, and to have free transferability of tickets and licensing for those responsible brokers. Um, this has all sort of 
started a few months ago and we, we had some sort of meetings um, and yeah Scott kicked it off and then he has entrusted down the current board to take things forward with a more of a British feel that empathises is with the current issues in the UK ticketing industry um, but he now sits on our advisory board um, which we're aiming to sort of grow um, we've not really had a voice in the past and I think that's possibly our own um, fault <laughs> as well as um, you know people not sort of stepping out of the shadows um, but we felt as a group of fans who sort of stumbled into the industry that um, you know over time we become these passionate professional businessmen and you know we have a lot of expertise and knowledge in the sector and you know we we feel valuable and we want people to actually see that this is the new sort of breed of growth that exists especially in the UK market I, I'm not sure so much on the US side but um, I think if you've got well-established big businesses over there and um, in secondary ticketing is very sort of successful there um, but over here at the moment the images has been really tarnished um, and we sort of aim to change that really um, I don't know if it's worth me sort of um, discussing my own story a little bit of how I you know my love for music and all that kind of thing I think that's actually a, a, a fairly relevant because I think one of the things that, or at least one of the bad misperceptions on, on the, you know, sort of the negative ideals that gets held up is that uh, brokers or touts, you know, however, whatever term you'd like to use, often get flagged as just like money grubbers and people who are just trying to steal from the ecosystem. And yeah. I know that that's not necessarily the case. I mean, there absolutely are. People like that, and you know, and, and I think it's a small minority in most yeah. cases. So I think when you, when you do talk about be, being a fan and like caring about the events and care, wanting people to see the experiences, I think it is a very important point to make because I think um, when you're talking about not stepping out of the shadows and not getting uh, having a voice, I think sometimes that could be the case because people just don't know, and it's very tough. It's much more difficult to malign someone who is. Uh, it looks like you than it is somebody who you can just see as um, sort of a sketchy, shadowy individual. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I was just brought up um, by my mother, so like a um, single parent, um, and she was quite inspirational to me actually, and um, set up her own business actually, um, working in goat farming and um, created a cheese, which, um, you know, so she set up her own business and that was very inspiring to me. Um, but when I was very um, younger, like teenage years, I got into the music scene um, and was into Joy Division and the Manchester scene and uh, really loved all of that and started going to a lot of gigs um, when I moved down to London in my early 20s. Um, but I worked in IT, <laughs> so I was an IT contractor for 15 years and used to do like very long commutes and all this kind of thing. And when I look back now, I mean, the chance to sort of become my own boss and um, I spend more time at home and with my family instead of doing all this commuting and everything else was, was really important to me. So, but the way I actually got into it all um, was actually going to the gigs in London and really getting involved in the scene. And um, I used to go to the smaller venues and always researching new bands that were coming through, like through the NME used to um, be very good for, for that. Going out finding um new bands and sort of following their careers as they sort of grew and um so yeah no absolutely 
sort of loved getting involved in that and the iconic venues that London had to offer. Yeah. Absolutely loved the, the history behind it all. And um, so, yeah, so that's where, you know, my love for music sort of came along um, and just grew over time a, a, a big knowledge of all of these bands. And I actually had a um, database of artists in Last FM, which is like a website. Yep. Yeah, and had built it up to having about two and a half thousand artists in this um, um, application, and then um, yeah, and then um, my wife came along on the scene, um, and we were going to go to a concert to see the Levelers at Brixton, um, but our plans changed, so we um, needed to sort of get a refund for our tickets or or do whatever we could. Uh, at this point, it's, I have to say, I didn't know anything about the secondary ticketing market. <laughs> it was all, I just, I think I used to buy my tickets through C tickets most of the time because right. I used to Ticketmaster was the most expensive option. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we had these tickets for the levelers. Um, we couldn't get a refund for them, so um, we just thought, oh, right, we'll go and put them on the internet or we'll see if we can sell them on the internet somewhere. And we found this website called Seatwave which was this about eight years ago and um, we basically <laughs> just sort of looked at each other and said oh, should we try and get some profit for these tickets so I, I basically being a man said oh let's see if we can get 20 pound and my wife said no Steve don't be greedy let's just try and get five <laughs> <laughs> so we, we put them on the website um, and they sold in five minutes which was complete sort of shock to me I thought what on earth is this you know um, and reading a bit more into it, I, I realised that this was, you know, this site had guarantees. It was a safe place to um, exchange, buy, sell tickets, and everything else. And so, um, I found that this was a better place than previous places where I'd been, like Gumtree, where I'd got scammed. Um, I remember a guy duplicating e-tickets, and I bought them off of Gumtree off him stupidly for cash and he went off down the tube with my money um so all of those sorts of things made me think oh this was quite good that this seat wave setup was quite good so initially i then started looking on seat wave to buy my tickets too so um i remember going to a white lies gig in bethnal green which was you know really sort of over um basically very hard to get tickets for but i found a pair on there <laughs> And um, this is one of my first dates with my now wife, so it was kind of my valuation on that ticket was like I would have probably paid £100. I didn't really care. It was about, you know, going out on a date with my, my girlfriend at the time. So, um, yes, yeah, so I, I found the seat I was useful. Um, and then basically started realising that there are other sites as well out there um, that, and that basically a primary and a secondary market existed. So, um, and obviously you could move tickets from one place to another. And as I'd found out with the levelers, you could actually make some sort of profit out of that and provide us um, a service to people. Because I had a lot of people at work and colleagues uh, that just couldn't get tickets at Friday 9 a.m. And all of a sudden, because I'd got more into it, they had started to ask me for tickets all the time um, <laughs> and so um, I was able to go out and find tickets from different primary agencies and I used a website called Songkick which yep. back then it used to make it very easy it had all the primary 
sites and then it had all the secondary sites um, and you could that's how I basically built my business I went around all the primary different primary sites finding um, the tickets that people were asking me for um, and then over time I mean it took quite a few years but it just grew and grew and grew and then I used the secondary sites as well like get me in and everything else now um, let me let me just step in here and ask you two things that you brought like you brought up here, right? Which is the first thing is about the secondary market providing a service, right? Which a lot of the pushback on the, from the primary side is going to be like, well, you can already get exactly the same service from us, which I don't necessarily agree with in all cases, right? Because you you've highlighted a couple of these situations, but the second the part about this is also the the ability like when things go on sale. That if you can't be right there for the on sale, then you can kind of miss out on things, right? And yeah. one of the things I've found, right, is that like if you miss out at the on sale, like let's say me or you, right, That's yeah. probably more than likely me, um, would miss an on sale, right? Like I missed the on sale because I was taking my to the Foo Fighters recently at uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion in outside of D.C. because I was taking my my son on a field trip for his school, right? I was taking a bunch of second graders, um, but I would want to go see the Foo Fighters, right? Um, yeah. And I know that there's going to be, um, you know, that you, you might call them touts, right? But, um, you know, or they would call brokers here or, but they're not really legitimate businesses, but there's still people buying those tickets to resell them. And to mm-hmm. me, one of the challenges is, is that like, going, is it better for me to buy the ticket from a business, some, a professional, somebody who I, you know, like not only is it backed up by StubHub, but also backed up by just a business in general, or is it like some like flaky one-off like kid who just was able to sit there at his computer and buy the tickets? I mean, you know, to me, it seems like having a little bit of the inventory preserved for people who can't necessarily be there for the on sale is just yeah. a wise decision. Yeah. I mean, the, the convenience that uh, a lot of people want to pay for, I mean, maybe my direct customers um they are very happy for me to just go out and you know try and attempt to get tickets for them it's not always easy um but you know they they want that convenience they want the the flexibility they want to be able to go under no pressure and and get the ticket when they want um and when i first started um, buying tickets i didn't even bother with the nine o'clock thing i just used to wait until afterwards because tickets were released later on in the life cycle of events and I'd, I could try and get them then. Um, and also, you know, all nearer the gig where prices actually go down and you, you'll basically find that there isn't any sold-out concerts anymore. I mean, there, there's basically, if you're a fan, you can go to the primary market and you can try that, but you can also go to the secondary market and try that. Um, and as long as I feel, you know, there's no sort of bad selling practices or misleading you down the line where you feel you're pushed into a panic buy, I think that, you know, it's fair enough to to pay a little bit more for for that sort of service. I do think that the resale fees are a bit high, um, and that kind of really pushes up the price because, you know, if we want to make kind of ten percent on a ticket, then you're kind of having to add another forty percent in fees, and you know, the difference from a face value and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know I agree with that completely, and you know, and I think I don't think it's a, any uh, mystery to people, or it's anything that I've hidden at all. I th- probably not at all, but I mean, I you know, I for a long time I was a day to day broker in the states, and I had a huge um, 
business built off of direct customers, right? And and that, yeah. but that was the whole thing, right? It was like I was dealing with CEOs of companies, um, you know, and really big companies, um, you know, so that like they weren't going to sit there and be at the on sale, right? Um, yeah. And I think one of the challenges, and it's a really, it's a rightful um, challenge or pushback on the secondary market is some of these abusive uh, tactics, right? So it's like the use of bots, right, to, um, yeah. you know, to block out people from being able to get access, right? Um, yeah. It's the um, abusive fees, right? Um, you know, it's somebody like Viagogo who, ha- who you know, doesn't stand behind any kind of, um, you know, uh, refund policy or customer service or anything. It's just like, give me your money, and then if you don't get your ticket, you're on. Good luck is what it seems like in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. At least, you know, more than you know, more than any other company I've seen. You know, I mean, I'm sure they would push back and say all kinds of stuff, but um, you know, and I think those are like real cha- like real things that people should be be aware of, because you said 10, percent you know, mm. and I know that like. Um, I'm going to say, you know, I, I might have averaged when when I was in it day to day, and this was back um, really when StubHub and Tickets Now in the states and some of these sites were just getting started. I was maybe making twenty or tw- you know twenty percent, right? Twenty, you know, in a lot of cases. But the service yeah. was it was invaluable to people, right? Like they couldn't replace that service. And I think the service aspect of it is, um, you, you know, something people really should pay a lot more attention to because it's real. Just because. You, you want to make it like fair and democratic. It doesn't mean that there's not mm-hmm. people who are willing to pay a premium for this or that desire this. And the thing is, is like if you don't capture that, if somebody does, if somebody is like officially not there working as a partner, it doesn't mean it's going to go away. It just means that the likelihood of it going uh, happening successfully and not in a way that's abusive or destructive goes up tremendously. Yeah, but you tell me if I'm wrong. No, it's dead right. I mean, the the actual um, experience of buying from the primary. A lot of people just don't want that. They they don't want to. They don't want this sort of accept what you can get your hands on type of scenario. And then you you know you feel compelled that if you don't buy you know a, a seat right at the back because that's all you've been given. Um, you know they don't want to have to be sort of forced into that. And and I find that on resale it really does cater for a higher end of the market as well. Um, as the lower end, and I think that's important that we, we cover every sort of type of customer that's out there and give everyone the opportunity to get a ticket. Um, I think that's that's important. Well, I'm one, going back. Oh, go on. yeah, no. One of the things too, when you, you brought up like both the high and the low end, and one of the cha- or one of the things that I think the secondary market does a lot better than the primary market is the it does cater to that audience, right? Because I mean, you know, most of the, so many of the tickets in the states are controlled by Ticketmaster, and in the European model is so so much better, or I guess the rest of the world's model is so much better, where it's an open ticketing system to begin with. But the thing about it that strikes me as odd is that even though opening ticket, you know, an open ticket market is still there, how many of these companies do such a terrible job at digital marketing? Right, of, of generating demand and driving demand, and the, the secondary market has done. A much better job in a lot of cases of yeah. understanding how to convert, you know, browsers into buyers and drive traffic. Which, when you say the second, you know, the lower end, it really to me it would be a it's a missed opportunity if like the primary side is not necessarily working with the secondary market to control both the up and down side because I think they're 
it's probably enough for you know somebody like you or you know Scott who we both know to or anybody to to operate and earn a profit to provide a valuable service and to share some of that with the with the primary side in a way that like you capture the upside but you also make it more feasible and more likely that people are going to, that don't have this huge budget can get in as well you know by by more effectively dynamically pricing yeah absolutely i mean if you go back to the um the way I kind of started, um, Ticketmaster used to be in the UK where everyone went to, but now it's actually Google, as we know. Yeah. Um, and these resale companies like StubHub Get Me In, they're all at the top of Google paying um, and obviously using their, the fees that everyone's paying towards getting back up there and creating this recycling of um, you know, fans coming back and just creating a, a vibe sort of market. Um, but now what we're finding is that the primary agencies, the smaller ones in the UK, they, they don't even appear on the first three or four pages of Google for these events. They just can't compete. So we do go along, I mean, or you can go along and get some tickets from one of the smaller agencies and put them onto the other agencies and they'll sell. Um, and you can often find out that these smaller primary agencies have stock right up until the time of the concerts. Um you know, and this this distribution point where we feel that we're an essential part of you know selling the tickets for the artists because if they're just stuck on a a small primary site, um, we can move them from there and put them where we know they're going to sell. And a lot of the primary agencies know that as brokers, we you know we exist. You know, you can go into London, um, buy tickets from there, and we've got good relationships with them, and they know we're brokers, and they know. Um, we're buying the tickets to to move them on for them, you know, and obviously they're not going to um, have a problem with that, <laughs> right? Because at least, and you tell, I mean, help help the audience out here too, because um, you know, a lot of the people who listen, you know, aren't just in England; they're going to be all over the world. Um, when you have an allocation from the primary side in in England, if you don't sell, your allocation goes down. So the yeah. right, and so then yeah. the incentive is for them to work you know kind of on the sly with the broker so that like they make sure they can keep their allocation and their allotment absolutely okay. yeah i mean it's healthy for everybody for them for all the tickets to get sold i mean um that's what it all boils down to um and so yeah i think we're a big part of that um, in addition like you were talking about dynamic price um so, so that we don't kind of restrict supply ourselves when we're trying to get tickets at 9 a.m., which I think if you're a manual uh, responsible broker trying to get them, you're not going to um, affect the supply at all. I mean, I, I was trying the other week for Florence and the Machine. We wanted two tickets for ourselves, and we couldn't even get those. Um, so we do question exactly you know, what is available at 9 a.m. But um, in my own business, we use risk models, and I know other people do. Um, which kind of tap into our expertise and knowledge around the venue sizes and the fan bases of the artists, um, previous demand they had, um, and ultimately knowing what the true value of a ticket is to a fan. Um, and I think that's really important so that you don't sort of overbuy or attempt to overbuy tickets to, to resell. And we also use moving averages to manage that stock and make sure that we price competitively to achieve sales. Um, and this is kind of like manual dynamic pricing, if you want. I mean, we're on it all day kind of doing it. Um, 
and we're, our aim is to try and meet fans' valuation and and you know have liquidity in the stock. Um, the model that Ticketmaster have now come out with to me is is not like what we do. I mean, this isn't what I would say is dynamic pricing. <laughs> it's kind of like um, creating more scarcity for drip feeding, I would say, um, and they're basing it on what the market can bear and not on what. Um, you know, not being competitive and finding that price where supply meets demand. Right. Um, you know, which I think is fairer, obviously. Well, you know, and, and I know that you know, don't open the door on verified fan for me because I will, uh, <laughs> I will kick the door in and we will go on for a long time because I feel that, and I may be wrong, but I doubt it on this that everybody who has worked with Ticketmaster on verified fan has come out looking worse because of it. Right, and I don't buy like one line of this crap that they try to sell, which says mm-hmm. that hey, look, you know, oh, this drip thing is maximizing revenues, and we don't want to sell every ticket and all this other stuff. I was like, well, you might be making a lot more money. You might be making a lot more money on seats, right, on certain seats. And I know that like with Taylor Swift here in the states, they they probably have you know they've been able to gouge people because I get all these emails, right, and because they told they sold them on boosts and they sold them on the scarcity thing and they sold them on all these things about the only best access to the best tickets, right? And then what they've done is then they dumped a whole bunch of seats that were comparable on the market that people didn't have to have the boost, didn't have to buy early, didn't have to pay these out, outrageous fees on, which to me is manipulative. And it probably, I, I would say, as much of a fan uh, or an advocate for the free market as I am, it seems illegal to me, right? Because you've, you're, you're selling them false advertising. You know, it's just like, I mean, I, I'm all for everybody maximizing their profit, but I mean, you can't screw your customers. Is, is to me the point? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've got. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Taylor Swift because I think that was quite a big eye opener to a lot of people, um, and she must have been playing to half empty kind of stadiums, which I can't imagine is great over here anyway. Um, and the prices were just, you know, if, if you wanted to bargains for fans that they, these were the sort of concerts to get onto and, and Britney Spears you could basically get them well under half price um, and for me it was a total total flop to be honest but but their their dynamic um, pricing with platinum it kind of I, I do feel yeah the face values on tickets can be misleading but I do think you have to have an initial start point and I've noticed now that you you can't even see what the price of the ticket is to start with when right. you go to Ticketmaster. I mean, you don't you don't ever go into a shop, do you? Unless it's a, a Parisian jeweler where there's been no prices on it yeah. <laughs> uh, to go and buy something. I mean, you know. And, and this thing with the pricing, right? Especially like the pricing being hidden at you know all stages of the uh, buying process. This is something that at least last year when I sat down with the guys from Google. Um, and they were talking about some of the rules that they wanted to implement and some of the changes they wanted to make to their, you know, their ad platform and to the way the tickets were sold. It seems like the exact opposite of what Google was advocating for and trying to encourage because they were like, we don't, we can't have all this deceptive pricing and we can't have all these deceptive schemes going on. But somehow um, Ticketmaster is able to game the system by saying they're the prime, you know, they're the primary side. But it really. To me, it doesn't matter if it's the primary or the secondary side. Deceptive practices are deceptive practices. Yeah. I mean, I've never ever thought that the Ticketmaster to get me in model was particularly clever. I mean, I know that we, you know, it was one of our options to use for reselling tickets. Um, 
but that vertical integration I think is is really bad um, and not good for the market and also the monopoly that exists um, is obviously um, very bad for prices um, so all these things I think have a detrimental effect on on fans and and the price basically yeah. Um, so, yeah if you look at it right to me and again I may be wrong right and if I am you, you tell me but it seems that the incentives are aligned in a way that it encourages people to act abusively towards the customers. And by people, I mean Ticketmaster, right? Because if their hand's in the primary side, if they're the promoter, if they are also operating as the premium advocate and the secondary market and all these other touch points, then isn't their incentive to, you know, act manipulatively? You know, to, I mean, that, that's, that's to me. I mean, it just seems like obvious as day. Yeah, I mean, that... They've basically moved get me in into the primary market, and um, actually, if you, if you went to get me in previously, it's actually cheaper than what their um, platinum rate is. You know, <laughs> um, so it really is um, keeping it all within the walled garden as such, um, and not a good solution for fans. Um, basically, yeah, totally agree with you there. <laughs> And so let me ask you this then, because, because you know, um, I think we've we've kind of t- touched on a lot of the misconceptions and a lot of the challenges that you're dealing with. You know, like what's the, what's the, and I know that with the Fair Ticketing Alliance, you kind of have a voice and you're trying to push forward to become, uh, you know, to legitimize the business in in, yeah. in the UK. You know, so w- what are some of the goals and ambitions and like next steps that you guys have in mind? Yeah, well, we want to. Um, well, we see that, that fan fan exchanges are kind of the bedrock of resale. Mm-hmm. Um, I often used to use um, a company called Scarlet Myth back in the day, um, but we feel that they have no sort of revenue stream, and there's never enough supply to entice people back to the site to you know buy their tickets, for example. Um, and there also isn't enough funding there for a good security model to exist. And I have actually been scammed on that website as well <laughs> back in the day. Um, so I, we get, you know, these four big websites were created, but we do believe that there's room for some very good solutions to, to sort of fill the gap there. Um, you know, there are some non-compliant exchanges operating at the moment, and um, with the high fees and everything else, I'm sure there's a good space for sort of a fan-to-fan exchange to be there and for, you know, a you know, responsible group of or community of brokers, which is what we're trying to create, to, to help those um, fan-to-fan exchanges and, um, you know, without taking it too far. Um, and that should give more choice and supply to the to the fans. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're basically trying to create this responsible community um, we've created a code which um, we did with the Queen's lawyers. Um, this is basically a code we wanted to respect rights holders um, and also to bring all the brokers in line so that they were, you know, all above board in in their business practices. Um, I think we've gone out sort of over and above to make sure that everybody is sort of safe within the in the community. Um, and then all this is sort of part of self-regulation really at the moment um, with the aim of getting licensed in the, in the long term um, which I think it might take quite a while with legislation passing through in the UK at the moment, there's a lot of stuff obviously going on with Brexit and fake news and everything else so um, may take some time so I think the self-regulation part of it and 
you know, trying to get people onto our code will, you know, take time. Well, let me ask you about this self-regulation thing too, because that's interesting to me. Um, how do you enforce that? Well, we would. I mean, the code is basically, you know, you have to be once you become an FTA member, you have to um, follow the code. Um, now, the actual enforcing of it is obviously um, something for a lot further on at the moment. But as soon as we were made aware of somebody, you know, breaking that code, they would they would have their sort of membership revoked, or they would uh, be referred to an independent body that could um, make a ruling on where you know what they've done and whether it was wrong or, or whatever. And let me ask you another question then to follow up on that, because as a FTA member, right, does um, it allow them to have uh, the ability to use the logo? Is there like a sort of standard of approval or like a seal of approval, you know, much like STAR operates? Um, yeah, I get what you're saying there, yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're very interested in coming under the, like the STAR umbrella and we have sort of reached out to them. I know that they're not um, sort of into the secondary ticketing market um, so much, but we did speak to DCMS, which is the um, committee, um, and they did actually advise us to reach out to STAR and see if they would be interested in having us under their umbrella. Um, but yes, the, the, it would have to be some kind of um, sort of approval that you, you basically get our approval and then you're, you, you can be seen as a responsible broker really basically from that point. And we, we would hope that in time we can work with uh, secondary exchanges where I don't know we might be able to get a tick on our listings or, or this kind of thing you know yeah let me ask you this too because that was going to be my next question is the exchanges have the exchanges bought into this at all I mean and I know the answer from Viagogo is no because they won't even uh, you know from what I know talking mm. to, you, to you and some other guys is that they they don't return your calls at all they just completely in most cases ignore you that's correct yeah they <laughs> Um, that's, uh, you know, but then again, we don't want to work with non-compliant exchanges, um, and the CMA in this country have told us that they're not compliant. So we we have to go by that. Um, and um, but StubHub have definitely shown a big interest in us, um, and you know, and get me in also. So yeah, they are. I think what they want to see is sort of how we grow now and the direction we're kind of going. Um, and we're sort of trying to lead that in the right direction with our moral compass. Yeah, <laughs> and no. Make sure go the right way, you know. I mean, um, that's, a good, that's a good way of putting it, having a moral compass on things, right? It's Yeah. You know, we're all, we, you know, we all want to get as many people into these shows and the new events as possible because, I mean, you know, number one, there's, you know, there's the money involved, but then number two, it's like, it's a great community building thing. And Lord knows that like, you know, you were talking about Brexit and fake news. We got our own battles here in the state. We need these communities of people, right? Like, so it's like, we should be encur like, encouraging anybody who can to sell and get people into these events. Yeah. And I, I think it's important. I mean, on our board, you know, we're all fans of this market, right? Uh, and we all care. And I think that's part of this not just about profits you know it's about um providing a good service i, I think most of us actually care more about the fact that we have a hundred percent you know um on our dispatches we never break any orders um and we, you know we pride ourselves on that service and we want people to say these guys are great you know <laughs> um and i think also people buying tickets from the, the secondary sites they do look to the business listings that are on there 
as being a bit more trusted because and, and that's shown in the breakage rates that actually with get me in for example i think two percent with regards to fans are broken and with us as uh, businesses are half a percent yeah. so i think um which is a huge difference it's a huge difference yeah, yeah. Because um, the point I always try to make to people is like, sure, one or two percent doesn't seem a big deal unless that one or two percent is you, right? Yeah. If you're in that one one or two percent, then it's awful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's another problem that fans fan exchanges have that we can kind of help with, you know. Um, and also being transparent. And I think that's one of the major things that obviously CMA are calling for that. Um, we obviously think you need a bit of that in the primary market as well. But um, if you're kind of buying on the secondary market from a responsible broker, then you know you, you'll see all the business details there and everything else, so you know what you're kind of dealing with. I mean, I, I just think it's important that we have nothing to hide, you know. And every, everybody involved with the FTA, in time, you know, they'll need to have their names on the website um, and just be out there and be proud of what they do because you know we are providing a good service, but it's kind of um, been in the shadows, and it's it would be good if people come out. I I think they're a bit scared of the. There's a lot of negative journalism. Um, quite a lot of people, for whatever reason, have maybe um, done things wrong because of the guidelines, perhaps not being so clear. Um, so there's a lot of grey areas about what you can and can't do. Um, and public perception is just is really bad at the moment. And so, you know, we just want to try and get um, some public endorsement. <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we have a big lack of that. We, we can't, you know, get into the papers even. Or, um, I mean, we have, we're having everybody that we talk to say great things about us to our face. You know, MPs have said it, economists, um, Mike Waterson has, um, you know, said that we're doing good work. All of the government regulators and authorities have said we're doing good work, um, and they're all encouraging it. You know, they like the licensing idea, they like the code. Um, so I think we're we're definitely going in the right direction, but there's there's obviously a lot of people against it as well. Yeah, no, no, and I, you know, I've talked to a lot of you know you or Scott or like a lot of these people, you know, offline over email, you know back and forth in Twitter, all in all these forums, right? And, I, you know, I, I advocate for uh, being ethical, right? It's like somebody called me, um, like, the moral compass of ticketing uh, on a <laughs> podcast recently. And, and, I, and I took that with, like, a sense of pride because, you know, the thing is, is, like, if we're screwing people, it's not looking good. It doesn't look good for any of us. And no. I, I think that, um, you know, to not sound like a shill, I do think that the more that you you know you you can get out there, and the more you can share things that you know, like you were talking about, like we're providing a service. You know, there's like so many people who um, struggle to sell their tickets on the primary side. Um, you know, yeah. all the different positives. You, you know, yeah. you can you can create an environment, right? And and I think that what what's going to happen, at least I, I'm hopeful, what will happen is that there's some sort of um, there's an opportunity for people who are acting ethically who aren't you know, looking at opportunities, um, mm. to sell tickets as a, as an opportunity to be abusive. Yeah. That there'll be opportunities for people like that. The, 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 the good people will find a place in that the, the yeah. bad, the bad actors will get sorted out. Um, I think, so. I hope we can do our bit to clean it up. You know, I mean, I mean, one of the parts in our code is that, you know, we don't touch, you know, charity events. 
then that's like really close to my heart. Me and my wife's had cancer, and there's a Teenage Cancer Trust uh, concerts, and I would deplore anybody that would buy for that and resell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's you know we just need people on board with us who think the same way and and want to be responsible. Um, but also there does need to be good morals there with everybody. Um, so yeah, we we look for those sort of people really to come on board with us. Well, before I let you go, where can I point people to so that they can learn more about what you're up to? Um, well, they can go to our website, which is fairticketing.co.uk. Um, we're also on Twitter, at fairticketing. And um, I'm Stephen Lee, so I'm also on there. I think I'm Steve Lee, 1973 on Twitter, and I do quite a lot of plugging as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> we and I'll do... tag everything in the, in the show notes <laughs> so that everybody can find you. So Cool. I mean, we, we desperately do need funding. Um, we're all voluntary. Um, and one of the biggest challenges has actually been fitting everything in whilst running our own businesses as well. You know, um, But we see this as more important in a way than actually running our own businesses because if we just continue to do nothing, then you know, the chances of this industry carrying on are probably very remote. I think you know, things need to be done and fixed. Um, and we... we really do feel that we've got a, an important place in the ticketing ecosystem we really do um, and uh, so let's hope that you know other people will want to work with us and just be in harmony with us really that's all we want <laughs> yeah no I, I mean I think if um, you know again if, if more people like you are out there as kind of you know talking about you know why you do this and you know and how you work you, you know yeah. it, it'll be a little bit um It'll shine a light on some of the bad problems and where some of the bad actors are. And I think, you know, it's easy, at least, and I know this from being in the States, it's very easy to point a finger at Steve, Steve Lee, right, and say he's he's bad because he's a tout, or point a finger at Dave Wakeman because he's a broker. And when you realize that, like, a lot of the bad actions are coming from not Dave or Steve, but they're coming because of structural issues or because of like you know just the way contracts are written or all these other things and so in a lot of cases you or i might be um a scapegoat um you know just because we're easy to take a shot at because nobody's going to stand on you know on on your side necessarily and be like well you know steve's a good guy um without some kind of education and some kind of light being shed on what the real problems are yeah, I mean, I just hope that we can get everyone talking to us. I mean, so far we've been very successful in that. And we, we want to work with other groups as well, like disability groups. And there's also a group called Music Venues Trust, which um, are helping to save all the iconic venues in the UK. So that's pretty close to my heart, so I'd, I'd really like to help those guys. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're trying to reach out and give something back as well. Um, you know, it's not all take. I, I think that... There are obviously the bad actors out there, and for them it is all take. Um, but we understand that you've got to give something back for it yeah. to work and, and compromise. No, no, no. That, I mean, and that's a great point. You, you can't just take. You have to give. It's got to be give and take. Um, Steve, I want to thank you so much for doing this today. I know no. that you're. Uh, we're both trying to get away on holiday, so. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me <laughs> so on. So glad man. we were able to do this. Um, th- thank you again. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Cheers. Thank you again to my guest, Steve Lee, from the Fair Ticketing Alliance. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website, 
That's DaveWakeman.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at David Wakeman. You can also find me on LinkedIn. If you'd like to email me with any thoughts, ideas, concerns, questions, whatever, send me an email. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. And always, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. I know that we're on TuneIn and iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. I think we're on everything. But please, subscribe, leave a message, uh, share it with your friends, your colleagues, um, anybody who you think might find this thing interesting. It really means a lot. Until next time, I'll see you soon. Take it easy.